0: Once upon a time, in an age of forests and firelights, our ancestors were wise to the spectrum of human identity. Among the fairy tales and myths they told, the stories of glass coffins and marble statues, eunuchs and androgynes, chaste marriages and bodily transformations, symbolic stories that hint at other identities, tales of asexuality. This is the Asexual Fairy Tales Podcast, and I'm your storyteller, Elizabeth Hopkinson. Each month I'll be reading you another story from my books of asexual fairy tales. Some of these are old tales of myth and legend, in which I first found representation for my asexual identity. Others are original stories by me, based on traditional motifs. It's a personal selection. I hope you find something in it that speaks to you too. So sit back if you are able, relax and enjoy another Asexual Fairy Tale. Hello and welcome to another edition of Asexual Fairy Tales. Thank you for joining me. This month's story, The Half Marble Prince, shares a lot of motifs with the glass coffin which I read to you last month so you might want to go back if you haven't heard that one and listen to that after this one and see if you can spot all the similarities that i find between the two of them the story of the half marble prince comes from the thousand and one nights so we're going to the middle east for this edition it comes from two linked tales the fisherman and the genie and a tale that has been variously told as the ensorcelled prince or the young king of the black isles or even the semi-petrified prince. Um, The 1001 Nights, also known as the Arabian Nights, is a collection of Arabic tales within tales, which has a complex and shifting history of different versions and translations, almost as mysterious as some of the tales themselves. For my retelling of The Half Marble Prince, I have drawn on uh, Sir Richard Burton's 1885 English translation, as well as Moira Caldicat's the Fisherman and the Genie, and the King of the Ebony Isles in Crystal Legends, 1990. I do have to say that in the original there is um, something quite racist, and I have changed that for this story, you'll be pleased to know. The Half-Marble Prince There was once a childless sultan who despaired of ever finding an heir. One day, as he was sitting in his palace, his vizier brought in a fisherman who wished to show the sultan a marvel. In a certain lake the man said were fish of such dazzling colour that they must be seen to be believed to please his sovereign the fisherman had brought one of each colour the fisherman held out an earthenware bowl of water in which swam four glittering fish one white as pearl one red as ruby one blue as sapphire and one yellow as gold this is indeed a marvel said the sultan "'Reward the fisherman with four hundred gold pieces "'and take the fish to my kitchen to be cooked, "'for I'll wager they taste as good as they look.' "'But when the fish were taken to the palace kitchen, "'a strange thing happened. "'As soon as the serving girl put them in the pan to fry, "'the wall of the kitchen melted away. "'In came a lady dressed in silks, "'adorned with bangles and precious jewels. "'She held out a wand towards the fish and said, "'Fish, keep your vow.' At this, the fish sat up in the pan and said, Yes, lady, we will. Then there was a flash of blue fire, and the lady vanished through the wall, leaving the pan burned to cinders. When the vizier heard about this, he sent for the fisherman to bring four replacement fish. But the same thing happened again. The lady appeared through the wall saying, Fish, keep your vow. She then vanished in a flash of fire, leaving the pan charred to cinders. When the same thing happened a third time, the vizier decided to tell the sultan and to show him the charred pan. There is some mystery at work here, the sultan said. Send for the fisherman and have him take us to the lake where he caught the fish. So the sultan and his entourage of pashas and viziers, mamluks and janissaries, followed the fishermen to a place none of them had ever seen before though it lay but half a day's march from the palace, four black hills surrounded a lake, which stood in the hollow of the valley. Peering into its crystal waters, the sultan could see the marvellous fish of four colours glittering in the rays of the setting sun. The sultan instructed his men to make camp for the night, but to his vizier he whispered a secret instruction. And so the vizier alone knew, That when night was deepest, the Sultan changed his clothes, girt on his sword and set out alone to solve the mystery. After journeying three days, he came upon a black marble palace, whose gates of brass stood open and unguarded. Puzzled, the Sultan walked inside. Is anybody there? he called, but the only reply was the echo of his own voice. Going further in, the sultan was awed by the palace's beauty. Silken curtains embroidered with gold stars hung in the doorways. Singing birds of fabulous colours flew around domed ceilings, spilling forth their song. At the centre of the courtyard, four golden lions spewed forth a fountain that looked more like cascading pearls than water. Yet nowhere could the sultan find a single human inhabitant. At last, he heard the sound of a man's voice, groaning and wailing. The sultan followed the sound until he came to a chamber, where a young man sat upon a couch. He was more beautiful than anyone the sultan had seen, slim-waisted and shapely. His white forehead contrasted perfectly with his jet-black hair and ebony eyes. A beauty spot sat just above his rosy mouth. The sultan felt sure that the youth and the palace belonged to one another. He greeted the young man courteously, but the youth merely sighed and looked at the ground. Forgive me for not rising to meet you, he said, but I am unable. And tears ran down his cheeks. My dear son, whatever is the matter, the sultan said. Without a word, the youth drew aside the skirts of his robe. The sultan gasped. The young man was not sitting on a couch at all. Instead, the lower half of his body from the waist down was solid black marble. Only from the waist upwards was he a man of flesh and blood. In the name of God the merciful, exclaimed the Sultan. How did you come to this? If you promise to help me, said the youth, I will tell you. The Sultan agreed and the youth told him the following tale. I am a prince, the lord of the Ebony Isles. At an early age I was married to my cousin. In many ways we were perfectly matched. She was beautiful and accomplished, running the women's side of the house just as I ran the men's. Many a summer's night we would sit in the roof garden together, debating and telling tales beneath the stars. My only unease lay in matters of the bedchamber. For the sake of family honour, I tried to satisfy her and to produce an heir, but I struggled to find the desire for the task. Often, I slept on my couch alone in a deep sleep without dreams. One such time, just as I was about to fall asleep, I heard one of the slaves who was fanning me say, Poor master. Our mistress brings shame on this house by betraying him the way she does. Then why does he do nothing to stop her? "'said the other. "'He doesn't know,' said the first. "'Every night she drugs him so he cannot wake. "'Then she goes out into the city to be with her lover.' "'These words horrified me. "'The next night when she visited me as usual "'to debate and exchange stories, "'I poured away my usual drink and only pretended to drink it. "'I then lay on the couch and snored as if sleeping. "'Sleep and never wake again.' My wife say, "I despise you. I loathe your body. I wish I never had to live with you." And with that, she perfumed herself, slung a sword over her shoulder, and went out into the night. I followed at a safe distance and was disgusted to see that she made straight for the thieves' quarter, the haunt of conjurers, beggars, alchemists, snake charmers, and every kind of rogue. From a hiding place on a nearby roof i saw her enter the house of her lover he was thick set with a neck like a bull he swept her into his arms and they began kissing and cavorting in a way that made my stomach turn my anger burned so hot i could scarcely control myself the moment they slept i climbed down from the roof and took up my sword meaning to behead them both for their crime but my stroke failed my sword slipped from the rogue's neck having merely wounded him At his hissing groan, my wife awoke, and I fled across the rooftops, back to my own palace and my bed. The next day my wife was red-eyed and pale. "'I have suffered a great bereavement,' she said. "'Allow me to build a house of lamentations in the palace courtyard, "'a rotunda with a dome where I can mourn my loss.' "'I thought the rogue must have died of his wounds in the night and gave thanks for my good fortune.' My wife had the rotunda built, and put it about that her parents and brothers had perished in a tragic accident. I alone knew for whom she really mourned. Every day my wife went to the House of Lamentations in the courtyard. I hoped in time that her visits would lessen and we would resume our starlit debates, but it was not so. Indeed she seemed to spend more time in the rotunda than anywhere else. Eventually I said to her, Light of my eyes, can we not resume our friendship and go on as we once did? I have borne with this morning for a long while, but it is time to forget and return to your husband. The scorn from her eyes was like fire. Husband? When have you ever been my husband? I have only one husband on this earth, and by God I will see him restored to me. She fled into the House of Lamentations, and I followed at her heels. Beneath the echoing cupola, she fell on a couch and kissed the mouth of her roguish lover. All this time he had not been dead, but merely injured in the throat. All around the couch I could see potions and snakeskins, incense and texts in strange scripts. She was trying, by magic arts, to restore her lover to full health. The rage I had a long buried rose to my throat. Adulteress! I screamed. Witch! I bore with your grief patiently, thinking you would return to me. But all the time you've been keeping your lover in the heart of my palace. By God, I will finish what I started. Again, I took up my sword, but my wife had learned well from the sorceress with whom she kept company. She thrust out her hand towards me and said, "I curse you." From now on you will be half man and half marble, unable to leave your palace or move from the spot. Your beloved ebony isles will shrink to black hills around a lake. Your subjects will become fish. The Muslim's white, the Zoroastrian's red, the Jew's yellow and the Christian's blue. And you will suffer. Oh yes, my lord, you will suffer. The prince looked at the sultan with tears in his eyes. Every morning she comes to this chamber. She strips me to the waist and gives me a hundred lashes with the whip. My wounds never heal. I am in torment every day. The sultan passed a hand over his eyes. Where is she now? As soon as she has finished scourging me, said the prince, she goes to the house of lamentations. It is still here in my courtyard. She spends all her time there, feeding her lover keeping him alive by her magic arts. But I believe the fellow is no more alive than I am. All I hear from the courtyard are wordless groans. Very well then, said the Sultan. I know what I must do. The next time his wife came to scourge the prince, the Sultan sneaked into the House of Lamentations. There lay the lover, more dead than alive. With a swift blow of his sword, the Sultan ended his misery. After disposing of the body in a well, he lay on the couch and covered himself with the coverlets. The wife soon came in with a bowl of meat broth and a goblet of wine. Eat and drink light of my eyes, she said, and sighed. Alas, that with all my arts I cannot heal your wound. Oh, how I wish you would speak to me. This was the sultan's opportunity. In a hoarse voice he said, My heart's delight. I cannot be well until you reverse the spell. You cast on your husband. That is why your efforts have failed. You spoke, cried the wife. This is indeed a sign from heaven. I will do as you say. She went out into the palace and took from her chamber a metal bowl. This she filled with water and set it to boil, casting into it magic powders and speaking secret words. Then she sprinkled the water over the enchanted prince, saying, I revoke the curse. Be as you were before, a man of flesh and blood. Instantly the prince felt the marble begin to soften. His legs shook and trembled, and he fell to the floor, kissing it, and looking in wonder at his new legs. Now leave my sight before I kill you, said the wife, and turned on her heels. When she reached the house of lamentation, she knelt by the couch and asked the sultan if he was improved. A little, the sultan croaked, but for me to be truly well... You must restore your husband's realm and subjects. So, the wife went back to the metal bowl and said more words. She sprinkled water in the direction of the lake. The instant she did so, the lake expanded to a vast inland sea. The four hills became islands, forested with trees of ebony. The fish rose and stood upright, turning into citizens of four faiths. The bazaars were thronged with people buying and selling. The places of worship murmured with prayer, and at the centre of the city, raised on a hill, stood the palace of black marble, with its gates of brass. The wife hurried back to the house of lamentations to see if her lover was well. Come close and kiss me, whispered the sultan, and you will see. So the wife leaned close to kiss her supposed lover. As soon as she was close enough... The sultan leapt from the couch and clove her in two with his sword. A greenish smoke and a foul smell arose from her body. She was a witch indeed. The sultan returned to the prince, who was now on his feet and walking about the palace in a daze of wonder. When he saw the sultan, he knelt and kissed the older man's hand. How can I thank you, he said, for all you have done? The sultan plucked his moustache. It would honor me greatly if you would become my son and heir. But you have a realm of your own here, I couldn't possibly ask. The prince clasped the sultan's hands. Nothing you could have said would make me happier. This realm has too many bitter memories. I will leave it to my brother, who already has children, and I will go with you, my father. Since you rescued me, I never want to be parted from you in this life. So, the prince went with the sultan. The journey back took much longer now that the ebony owls were disenchanted and in their proper place. They journeyed with an escort of mamluks bringing ebony, pearls and singing birds as gifts for the prince's new realm. People cheered in the streets when the sultan came home. Then the vizier rushed out to meet him with tears in his eyes. He'd feared he would never see the sultan again. When the sultan got home, he did not forget to reward the fisherman whose gift had begun the whole adventure. He instated the disenchanted prince as his heir and lived happily, no longer lonely and childless. As for the prince, the only reminder of his strange enchantment was an ebony ring that he wore on his right hand. If ever memories or bad dreams came to trouble him, he would look at it and remember how a sultan came to find him in the marble palace and set him free to be who he was born to be. Thank you for listening to Asexual Fairy Tales. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider subscribing to the podcast. If you really enjoyed it and want to buy me a coffee, you can do that at koficom slash Elizabeth Hopkinson 48513. Don't forget you can follow me on Twitter at hidden underscore grove. Or go to my website, elizabethhopkinson.uk, where you'll find links to all my books. All the links are in the episode description. I really appreciate all your support. Stay safe and keep reading.